Benjamin Franklin once said, In wine there is wisdom, in beer there is freedom, and in water there's bacteria. No bacteria here. This is On the Back Bar. On the Back Bar is your gateway to talking to the people behind the scenes at bars, distilleries, and vineyards around the world. We'll talk to the experts in the industry about future trends, people, spirits, cocktails, wine, and everything else. So kick your feet up, pour your favorite drink, and hang out on the back bar. This is Christopher Menning. Okay, so thank you so much for joining me today on the Batman Podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, we have Juan Gonzalez, the master distiller of Tears of Girona, and uh, it's great to have you here today. Obviously, we're just talking about the time difference and how it's sort of, uh, you know, I'm 13 hours ahead. So thank you for joining at that time of night for you. Um, how has everything been going? How's how's life? How's 2023 been? Well, hola. Uh, you know, it, uh, it has been a good start. Uh, working with Tears of Girona, we, I, I started producing it in 2009. It mm. came to the market in 2014. So it's, it's nine years now. We'll, we'll be selling Tears for nine years now. Wow, okay. So, I mean, obviously we're going to talk today about the production um, and obviously about the history as well and how you sort of grew it as a brand. Um, and for those listening, so it's a handcrafted extra in Neho that spends longer in oak than most bourbons. So I, I'd really like to hear about maybe your story and how you got into alcohol distilling and sort of, you know, how you built the brand over those nine years. So could we have your sort of origin story to start? Well, you know, it's uh, uh, my father created the first super premium tequila that arrived to United States back in '83, and, and from him I learned how to, learned how to to make high end tequila, one hundred percent agave. But one of the secrets that he had, or it, it was not to use juice bourbon barrels because of the profile flavors that sometimes those barrels overtake the flavors of the agave. So he always used use scotch whiskey barrels that have been used and reused many times. So it will not never take over the profile flavor of the agave. Well, it, it can be there in the wood for longer time. And well, that's that's the main thing, and that's uh, where I learned how to make tequila and how to age tequila and how to work with the, with the wood, with the barrels. And um, I work at the, my father's distillery for many years until you know I come from a big Mexican family of nine. And it was in 2007 a good time to to move from the family to create something from my own. And when I started uh, creating Tears of Llorona, uh, the concept was to create a tequila that could be in the same 
profile flavor, well, not in the same range as the super high-end cognacs or single malts or super high-end bourbons of the world. And for that, I knew that it had to be a tequila that can, uh, had to be aged in wood uh, for longer than only three years. And versus what I learned from my father, uh, that he only used used Scotch whiskey barrels, I decided to to add some something else to the profile flavors. And as I always say, I like the spirits of the Scotch, but I wanted to add the sweetness of the uh, sherry. Sorry, the the sweetness of the brandy and the fruitiness of the sherry. I love sherry and, you know, it's that I I knew that it was a a rounded flavor to end the tears of Girona profile. And once you taste tears of Girona, uh, what I was looking for is to combine all these spirits, but the main player had to be the, the, the agave, the greens of the agave, to wake up all those uh, flavors that comes in, in those barrels that have been aging other spirits. So in my personal opinion, that's what it makes Tears of Girona a very unique tequila or very unique extrañejo that that has those greens that even it has been aged for so long, it, all, it, it still has some flavors of the soil uh, where, it, where we harvest it. And of course, it has the green of the beautiful agave plant. Wow, thank you. I mean, <clears throat> firstly, it's it's so interesting to hear that, you know, you grew up with distilling from your family. So it's almost part of your DNA, I guess. And <laughs> it's um, it seems like there's there's definitely certain points which you find are, are most important. I guess barrel aging is very important for you. Um, I've just been looking at the bottle recently as well. It's a very unique bottle. It, it looks quite, I mean, I like the design a lot. But it's very untraditional, I would say, compared to a lot of other mass-produced tequilas. Can you tell me about the bottle design and why you decided to choose that? Well, you know, it. Uh, if I have always had the idea that if you are going to sell a super high-end tequila, you don't need to to have a super expensive baccarat bottle that comes with special glasses. I was thinking always on having a good presentation for, for, for our bottle, very simple, easy to look through, and not spending the money on the, on the crystal decanters. I wanted to give a bottle. I don't sell, bo- I don't sell bottles, I sell tequila. And that's right. why we decided to go with that very simple water bottle. Yeah, I like it. And you know, it's it's minimalistic, I would say, rather than yes. simple. But um, it's it's beautiful, like with the hand writing on there as well. And you can see the liquid as well. So I think that's quite important. So I'd like to talk about, um, you know, both the agave and the barrel process. But 
Can you tell me about the distillery location and maybe a bit about how you source and uh, look after or nurture your agave plants? Well, it's very interesting because my father's distillery was in Tamaulipas. We were the only distillery in the east coast of Mexico and the only one uh, that had the, the CRT approval to produce tequila in that area. And that's something that makes uh, me very different from most tequileros. I was along with myself, with my father. So all what I learned was from him. I learned how to uh, uh, plant the agaves, take care of the agaves, process the tequila, the agaves, having the aging process. But the what I wanted want to say is I was very clear on. Uh, I didn't have any advice from other sources. I never visited another distillery, so. I was, let's say, innocent compared to the huge industry of Jalisco. So we were very, what I learned from here, him was only to use the super mature agaves and to do a natural process with no accelerations. Uh, we had, a, as I do today, an auto clay and uh, the process was supernatural. So that's what I'm doing today in the new distillery where I'm working with a friend. But it, it took me two years to find the right agave that I was looking for. Uh, the one that I use is uh, it comes always from the same region, which is the highlands of Jalisco, specifically in the Totonilco area. It's uh, uh, the agaves on that region will give me the profile flavors that I'm uh, that I'm looking for, versus agaves from other regions. So the main thing for us is well, not for us, for me, is to have the the best agaves that I can get in that area. Especially, I prefer the ones that are located next to uh, citrus trees uh, plantations because the soil will get some of those profile flavors into the agaves. And that's, that's the main thing that I'm always look for. Okay. That's a, I, I didn't realize that. I mean, so if it's planted next to citrus, um, plants as well. You really pick up those flavors from the soil, you said. That's incredible. Um, in terms of agave, you know, we hear a lot of um, things in the industry about agave sort of running out and, you know, people harvesting early. What are some of the problems you see right now as a master distiller um, in Mexico with agave? Well, the, the situation of the agave, it's interesting because since I remember, there has always been a shortage of agave. <laughs> right. Every eight to 12 years. 
As a matter of fact, when my father started planting agaves in Tamaulipas in 1965-66, it was because there was a shortage of agaves in Jalisco. Right. So it's, yeah. not new. it's not new, but there were not books to tell us <laughs> how to work in the in the fields. Uh, and the main problem today is that tequila industry industry has grown like great now, and there's not enough mature agaves in the fields. Mm. So some of the big companies will harvest agaves that are four or five years old. Uh, now, at this point, people will tell you that agave, mature agaves are from five to six years old. I don't believe so. I think that uh, a mature agave has to be at least seven to eight years to get the the real maturity in this highlands area because there are some other areas that the maturity comes later so it's a that's that's a, the situation that i see on the tequila industry right now mm. i mean it has i mean you know for all intents and purposes it has grown rapidly over the last sort of five years and tequila is now a booming industry. I think a lot of that was um, the sort of celebrities that might have helped that brought up, you know, uh, big brands. But, you know, it's interesting to hear from a, a distiller's perspective as well. But um, can I tell you something? The sure. other thing that has changed through years, uh, when my father built his distillery and when he got the approval to produce tequila in 1977, there were only 36 distilleries. So the industry wasn't that big. It was very small at that time. Today, there's more than 250 uh, distilleries. But the main thing that has happened through all these years, since uh, 2000, uh, sorry, 1983, is that most of the tequila at that time most, I'm talking about 99% of the tequila was mixed to tequila. You know, mixed to is 51% agave sugar from uh, sugar from the agave and 49 from other sources. Today, most of the tequila that is exported from Mexico, at least 70%, is 100% agave. So, between so the tequila industry has grown on with the uh, new people getting into the industry but on the other side because the quality of the tequila has been better mm. at least on the on the production side in the, uh, the raw materials right i mean that that's good to hear because normally when you see industries grow, you see um, sort of the other side and people cutting corners. But it's great to hear that actually quality is still, well, it's become even more important as the industry grown. Mm. Yes, you know, it has changed because now we have the, uh, 
a lot of big companies making a lot of tequila with the diffusers. I'm not, I don't like the diffusers, but it's, but it's not that I don't like it or not. That's not the profile flavors that I'm looking for my high-end tequila. That's the main difference. As we can talk about the agaves from the highlands or atotonilco with the lowlands or the arandas agaves, all of them is just like grapes. Have, they will give you a different profile flavor on the products. So it's the same with the, if you like Tahona or you like Autoclay or diffusers, but it's, it really depends on what you want to produce mm. for your clients. Mm. Well, let, let's go back to um, to your your product. <laughs> and um, I mean, the next thing will be to talk about, I guess, the barrel aging process. Um, I mean, firstly, I'd love to hear like um, how long you sort of age for, of course. But can you also tell me about um, your barrel selection and how you source the barrels? Well, it's a it's it's not easy to find the the right barrels, and I don't have a special. Is a Scotch whiskey company or sherry? You know, I when I can find some barrels, I will take them. But just by eye, I don't really. It doesn't really matter where they come from. Mm. As as long as they have a good look, that's that, you know, it's by eye. You know, yeah. when you, you're producing one of products like this is. Is as I say in the, in the kitchen. It depends what you have in the tips of your or your fingers. The flavors come from there. Mm. And um, so, being an extra anejo, there's obviously a specific aging time. I can't remember off the top of my head, but would it, would it be correct in saying it has to be two years and above? Or no, the the uh, the loss. Uh, well, the norm. Talks, uh, has to be at least three years old. Ah, okay, okay. In barrels, no, not bigger than six hundred liters. Mm. And in terms of the barrels you're using, um, so you mentioned before that um, your father used to use Scotch barrels, um, but you also talked about sherry. So, can you talk to me about that process and and your aging? Well, uh, uh, once we have the Tequila Blanco. It's a tequila that uh, the way that is uh, that we that I do the distillation is uh, in a way that we can acquire as much profile flavors as much flavors from the distillation as possible. So it's a tequila that in the distillation gets about forty eight percent average. And then it goes to the barrels. I, we have the scotch, the brandy, and the sherry barrels, depending. There's not a specific number of each of them. But I do uh, the aging is simultaneously in, 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 barrel, in scotch, brandy, and sherry barrels. So at the end of some barrels, will get to the, the profile flavor, flavor that I'm looking for at four years and a half, uh, some at five, some 
takes longer, like six years, but you know, it's each each barrel is different. So you cannot uh, say, tell, well, it's going to be five years and that's it. Uh, it you know, you have to find the right moment of the tequila in the barrel to take it out and wait for the other ones to make the blend. So I guess you must be very hands-on with the production. Can I ask, how many bottles are you producing a year? Well, uh, we have plans for uh, around... It's very interesting because when we started in selling in 2014, we sold 180 cases. Right. Per year. So, okay. uh, because I knew that we had to wait five years. So once we hit the market and I saw what was going on with the product, that's when I decided to produce much more. But much more is like uh, from 180 cases to 2,000. Uh, hopefully we can get to 4,000 cases, six bottle cases per this year. So it's a, it's, it's a very small production. Uh, uh, production. Mm. Well, look, I'm, I'm going to have um, links to the social media, links to uh, the website on the podcast notes so people can have a look at that. Um, and please do, I said, you know, the beautiful bottles. Uh, the, the bottle is beautiful, so I really I, I do love the design. Um, in terms of, like, how people can get the bottle, um, where is it available at the moment? I mean, I'm guessing mostly just in in the states. Well, the states is number one, but um, I know that I'm very bad with those things. But I know that it's in uh, Spain, Germany, England, Australia, mm -hmm. New Zealand, and I'm, I'm very sure that uh, we just ship a, a good amount of tears to to Asia. Mm, okay. So hopefully it, you can get some in Thailand. Yeah, I was going to say, if we can get a bottle here, <laughs> I'd be very happy. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, you know, it's a very unique product. And because of the process, it's a, once you taste it and it really opens in the glass and it goes to your, through your tongue and, your, you know, it's amazing all the flavors, how it start changing. It, by each sip is is different, and the other the other unique unique thing that we have with tears is that we have we we make small batches of uh, I don't know five hundred cases, and that five hundred cases has a. Uh, icon in the red in the green, white, and red sticker. In the red side, it has a different icon. Hmm. So what I, what I want to tell with this icon is that we don't add. Uh, sorry, each each icon, each batch has a different uh, or unique flavor. And that is not exactly like the one before, and it's not going to be 
the same as the, the next one, because the variables will never tell me what they are going to give me. Always when I do the blending, I try to get, uh, well, when I do the blending, I always have the same highway of flavor, but with different curves. The idea is that with those cycles, I'm telling you that each batch is unique and it's unique because I can I don't add any additives. So there's no pro added flavors or coloring. So it's very unique. Mm. No, definitely. And I, I really thought it was interesting how um, you mentioned you have to wait for the barrels to tell you you know what they want to give you and that's interesting so as a as a blender i think that's probably one of the hardest jobs i guess right because well, the blending process is so complicated <laughs> but you know it's the best moment of it <laughs> right <laughs> the hardest part but the most fun part too right yeah because you sit there and start tasting <laughs> then you take the decisions yeah and I mean, just before we wrap up and, you know, I really appreciate that you talked to me at this time because I know it's probably 9 p.m. over there. So thank you. Um, and I'll let you go soon. But um, one I wanted to ask about, um, A, I wanted to ask about the name, why you, why you came up with tears. And also, B, I wanted to find out your opinion on how people should be drinking tequila and maybe how people can use tequila better in their bars to sell to customers. That's a good question. Every time that someone asks me how to drink tears of your own, I will always say, well, with friends, but only with the best, best friends. <laughs> but no, you know, it's a, um, you know, it's like when someone asks me how to make a, a margarita, I will always tell them, it depends. If for a 500 uh, party, 500 people party, or, or is for your wife. <laughs> if it's for your wife, buy the best tequila that you can. Right. Go and choose the best limes and agave nectar. Mm. And then make the margarita for your wife. But it's interesting when people think about a margarita or a tequila cocktail, they will always think on let's use the worst tequila or the less expensive tequila, which is, there's no relation with, with the price and quality. But you have to find the best for a great cocktail. I always, uh, you know, I, I drink Blanco, Reposado, and Añejo, and Extrañejo, of course. Uh, at this point, I only have in my line Extrañejo, which is Tears. But, you know, a good Blanco, uh, neat, or on an old-fashioned glass with a twist of lime on a summer day, it makes a cocktail by itself. Uh, I love reposados, but it depends if you go to a Mexican wedding that, you know, it can go for 12 hours. You cannot start drinking neat tequila because you will never get to the end of the party. <laughs> so my recommendation is a tall glass full of ice, your best reposado, and a good mineral water. And it will take you through all the party. Fantastic. Thank you. And Añejo, I love it with a 
dessert. Ah, but okay. It's, but it's interesting how it, it really depends on the mood of every, you know, of the people or what you're thinking or what you have in your, in your mind. And my tears, I love it. Uh, sitting after dinner with, with a good espresso on one hand and tears on the other one. <laughs> no sugar added. You don't need sugar for that one. Um, but that's, that's my recommendation. Sometimes when I do tequila dinners and we have cocktails for the uh, entries, for, you know, for the ceviche, for example, I always recommend if you are going to give a, a, a cocktail, have a little bit of uh, a little sample of the tequila that you are going to use for the cocktail, so people can can taste it and then know how what they are they going to look in the cocktail, what profile flavors are they going to look in the in the cocktail. Mm, okay. Well, thank you for that. And um, once again, I mean, thanks for coming on the show. And maybe just as a last question, just to sort of finish off, I'd love to ask why why you chose the name Tears of uh, Girona. Well, that's that's a very, you know, when I met uh, my friends who are my partners, uh, because I'm Mexican, when we met, all the music was in Spanish. So at one point, the Girona song came and I told them the, you know, the legend of the of the Yorona. And that's why we choose the Yorona for, for our brand. But uh, the Yorona phonetically sounds a lot like Corona. And the Corona people didn't like it. So that's why we are the, the Yorona. It was just yeah, so that's why we are the tears of Yorona. What is the legend? You mentioned there's a legend, but I don't think I know. Well, it's a it's a very old legend from Mexico, and it, it's a it's a you know a Spaniard, a conquistador, falling in love with a native uh, lady from America, from Mexico, and she fell in love, and you know they were married, two or three kids, but the problem was that the conquistador will keep on conquisting other ladies. And that was a huge problem. So the Yorona took her kids and drowned them with her. So when I was young, uh, my, my father will always tell me, if you don't behave, the Yorona will come and pick you up. So you were always, you know, you didn't need to go to, to a psych psychology because the Yorona will get you into the right way. Right. Thank you so much again for joining me on the show. And uh, once again, for the audience, you can look in the show notes to find all of the links to social media and the website. Um, it's been a pleasure to talk to you today and I can't wait to try your product soon. Thank you. Um, hope, uh, the interview went good. It was amazing. It was great to chat. Um, thank you and talk soon. Thank you so much for listening to the show, guys. Uh, we are available on Spotify, iTunes, and all other major podcast providers. Your support helps my show grow, and I love you for listening. So thank you so much. 
If you want to be a part of it even more, please look at the show notes. You can find links to our Facebook group, The Beverage Network. You can also find links to my Patreon page where you can help the show grow even further with small donations. And you can also find my email where you can reach me anytime with any questions. You guys are amazing. I love this industry. Let's keep it growing. Thank you for listening to On The Bad Bar.